Welcome, fellow explorers. My name is Christian Alexanderson, and this is Hemlocks to Hellbenders, a podcast highlighting Pennsylvania's parks, forests, and great outdoors. Close your eyes. Imagine you're standing in a forest cathedral surrounded by trees that are hundreds of years old, your feet sinking slightly into the soft ground covered in hemlock needles. The wind sways the lumbering trees and stirs the rich smell of soil around you. A woodpecker can be heard in the distance. Your heart rate lowers and you're relaxed. The stress of work, the kids, your commute completely drifts away. You are in an ancient forest, alone and at peace. Everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. Open your eyes. It was not a dream. It's an experience that's well within your reach here in Pennsylvania, thanks to the dedicated work of conservationists like the Old Growth Forest Network. Created in 2007, the Old Growth Forest Network works to identify and protect one forest in each county of the United States. As of the recording of this episode, the Old Growth Forest Network has worked with local, state, and federal agencies to identify and protect 28 ancient forests in Pennsylvania with more on the way. They can be found in parks, forests, natural areas, wildlife preserves, and nature reserves. While the Old Growth Forest Network is working hard to identify and protect more ancient forests, these remarkable places remain under threat. Private landowners and timber companies are in possession of more old-growth forests than the public. Without conservation, their destruction is almost guaranteed. But with your help, the organization can save an old-growth forest in all 67 Pennsylvania counties. Will you help? I'm excited to welcome Sarah Adlu and Brian Kane with the Old-Growth Forest Network to the podcast. Sarah is the Executive Director. Brian is the Outreach Coordinator. Sarah, Brian, thanks for joining the program. We are so happy to be here. Glad to be part of it, Christian. Tell us about the Old Growth Forest Network. Well, the Old Growth Forest Network is a national organization, and it's creating a network of old growth forests across the country. Uh, That is our major goal because we're responding to a severe degradation and lack of this stage of a forest's um, life, basically. So our organization is looking to fill that gap where we've lost a canopy of old growth forests across the country. So what we do is wherever forests can grow, uh, which is about two thirds of the country, we look to ensure that there is one protected and publicly accessible forest per county. So our organization has this generations long mission with approximately uh, 2,300 counties across the country that can support a forest as an ecosystem there. So we are working with on-the-ground volunteers and forest managers and woodland owners and other entities like that to identify possible areas of older forest in a county or old growth where it might remain. Um, And then we verify that these areas are specifically protected from commercial logging. And if they aren't currently protected in that way, that's where our hard work comes in and uh, we work to get those protections put in place. And uh, once a forest meets our three criteria of being protected from commercial logging, being publicly accessible, and um, exhibiting these older forest characteristics, um, we can induct it into the Old Growth Forest Network. When we induct a forest, that is kind of that stamp of approval of this forest will be there standing for future generations, at least in in terms of the things that we can control, like development and logging. Um, And when we induct a forest, it goes on our website and we share 
the story of this forest, its history, the type, the characteristics of it, the special things that you might be looking for um, when you go on certain trails that can take you into that older forest. Um, so that information goes up on our website. We have a map where you can dig into all these places in your state. And then the very fun part is we get to celebrate that induction with the forest manager, the stewards of that forest, any volunteer groups, um, and then the community that benefits from being close to a forest like this or the people who go out and hike it every morning and, and see those beautiful seasonal changes. And so coming in uh, as a national organization to these places that can have that really intense sense of place to its neighbors is, is a really wonderful perk of the job and perk of our work. And I, I want to clarify with our organization, not all forests that get inducted into the old growth forest network are old growth. And that's because of that extreme lack that we currently see. So we do have a lot of second growth forests. We are looking for the oldest forest in a given county because that's the one that has the best chance to return to that old growth condition. How do you define an old growth forest? That is a tricky question. Uh, it's been it's been a wicked problem for many um, people across the board who manage forests at different jurisdictions, county, state, federal. Um, our organization takes a very wide definition of it because we want to see um, the return of old growth forests. And so we want to be inclusive of forests that are aging into it. And so we don't set hard criteria for any particular um, oldest tree or anything like that. Uh, the way I see it is um, there can be as many definitions as there are forest types out there because each forest ages differently. Um, they're kind of like people. We all look different in our old age um, and we all take different paths to get there. So each uh, ecoregion, history, soil type, disturbance type like storms can come in and, and change how a forest will look in its older age. but. The, the overall framework of how I see old growth is it's a stage at a time when a forest has grown old enough free from major disturbances like being clear cut or commercially logged, uh, where individual trees are able to live out their full ecological potential. So when I say that, I mean growing from a seedling, approaching their maximum lifespan, whether that is 90 years, 150 years, 400 years. Some trees, we don't know their maximum life span, but we want to let them do those things. Um, and we want to see them uh, dying, eventually decomposing and returning to that nutrient cycle of a forest to enrich the life that comes after it. So once you've had a cohort or a generation of trees that are able to do that, that's when I, I see that forest is moving into old growth. Um, and so that's my definition. Everyone sees it a little bit differently and pinning it down has proved impossible. <laughs> what kind of work does it take to preserve these beautiful trees? That's another tricky question uh, because a lot of it depends on who's, who is the owner or steward of a forest, um, the different ways that they can go about protecting and preserving them. But overall, I think Care and concern for future generations is the very first step to protecting and preserving old growth forests. So we have to have that baseline, whether it translates to policy or bringing in a forester to create a forest management plan to ensure that we have a rich 
full living forest for future future generations is that first step to protecting and preserving. Then we get into the really nitty gritty details of policy, whether your town has a town forest um, and uh, your council might set up a way of making sure that that forest is well protected or a landowner who wants to um, make sure that their children are treating that forest right. They might put a conservation easement in place on their land, something like that. Um, so a, a, it's a combination of intention and um, getting things down on paper that makes sure that people are um, treating that forest responsibly in the future. Why is it important to protect and preserve old growth forests? Um, well, old growth forests are some of our richest, both uh, biologically and culturally, um, parts of forests across the country. So they really pull their weight in so many ways uh, ecologically in terms of supporting many, many species, um, storing, sequestering and storing carbon for a really long time, both above ground and these big beautiful, huge canopies of these trees and below ground in the complex um, fungi and microbial communities in that soil. Um, so we have, a, and they also, they do amazing things for filtering air and water. So we benefit ourselves immensely by protecting these forests, but also we owe it to these communities of life that are non-human to protect them. Um, and we, we also are responding to um, a severe lack of this forest type on our landscape. And um, it does take generations to restore it. So that's why we are jumping feet first in this work right now to make sure that on the scale of every county, we have a forest that can restore, be restored to this old growth condition. Now, not every forest across the landscape is going to be in that age. Um, that's the way forest succession works is we're going to end up with disturbances that come in and they create these younger forests that move through their life and come back to this age. And so we have this beautiful quilt, patchwork quilt of ages of forest across our landscape and it's slowly shifting colors and things like that. And we want to make sure that that is still going on too. Um, but with so few old growth forests left, which is uh, roughly 1% of what we once had in the East and three to 5% in the West, depending on how much of Alaska you're considering in that. Um, that's, that's abysmal. We have so much to do to get back to what our landscape once had. Plus they're really pretty. Oh yeah. I, I could <laughs> go on and on about what you feel when you walk through an old growth forest and what you see. Um, those, those benefits to our spirituality, our wellness, um, our ability to connect to nature and connect with other people in nature are absolutely enhanced by being in an old growth forest. You talked about how few there are left. What's the cause of their destruction? So primarily there was a large logging boom that happened in the 19th century as um, European settlers spread westward across the United States, trees were consumed to make that happen. Um, and so we, we, with that, also we saw forests converted uh, in terms of development and largely to agriculture in a lot of areas. And some forests have returned from where we no longer needed the, that area for agriculture so heavily. 
Um, those forests showed their resilience and they regroup. Um, but largely, even to today, we're seeing logging and older forests as their primary source of destruction. And um, part of this is because we're not cataloging and inventorying our old growth forests. And so when a forest is logged without particular care for those really unique conditions, uh, it's lost before we even know what we had. It's funny, too, because we so aggressively logged Pennsylvania, where we took out nearly any, any tree that was left standing. I'm surprised that we have any old growth forest in Pennsylvania with how aggressively we logged. Yeah, I was also surprised you've got Sylvania in your state name, which means forest. Nobody said, y'all might need to change that. <laughs> <laughs> What's the status of old growth forest nationally and here in Pennsylvania? I would consider it an extremely endangered community within a forest um, with, with such a small number left. And there, until recently, hasn't been any consideration of blanket protection for them. We, we do see some blanket protections starting to come to things like state legislatures or um, the, a recent national executive order. Not necessarily blanket protection, but at least consideration of some sort of uh, rule or policy to help us preserve these forests, um, not necessarily within a singular forest, but across all of our national forests or Bureau of Land Management lands. Um, so it's definitely not a protected uh, area itself. It's something that we have to work really hard to be recognized and included in um, things like uh, forest management plan protections, usually they're, they're not explicitly considered. So I would, I would say the status is definitely absolutely endangered and extremely vulnerable. Um, Pennsylvania has given us hope, though, um, because the uh, Pennsylvania uh, DCNR really cares about these forests. And has a beautiful system of state lands that include natural areas. And those natural areas are incredibly valuable for us um, raising up that ecological value above many other values and making sure that we have these areas that we've prioritized for their natural beauty and their ability to maintain life on their own. We don't need to go in and do anything in these areas. Um, they've got it figured out. You spoke earlier about having the inventory. Do you have a sense of how many acres old growth forests occupy? I do not, and I very much wish I did. Uh, so it's it's something that uh, no nobody quite has that information. Um, and there's been some good regional studies, but everyone uses slightly different methods, and so we can't necessarily stitch all of them together easily. Um, and then we recently had an inventory done on National Forests and Bureau of Land Management lands. And that actually told us on National Forest lands that 18% of the area they consider old growth, which I was so pleased to hear. And that it's great that they have now have that inventory. Um, but we have so much privately owned land across the country that may be holding these pockets of really, really valuable growth forests that we'll never know about. Um, so we are collecting some of that information as we go on, but it's it's very hard to also 
set a line down between when it, where uh, area is old growth and where it's uh, younger, unless you have that really uh, well-documented history there. And if I may add on to Sarah's comment there about, um, you know, the percentage of old growth, you know, with Pennsylvania, you know, it's almost 60% forested land. 70% um, of that land is in private non-industrial landowners. So that almost underscores the concern that we don't, we don't know what lies on those lands as well as we do on the state forests or state parks. So, um, you know, that, that's why, again, part of our mission is this educational mission to raise awareness of how important old growth forests are uh, to their communities and to the uh, ecosystems they support. Brian, what can you tell us about Pennsylvania's ancient forests? Well, as Sarah noted, you know, the state DCNR and the state itself is very committed to old growth forest preservation on public land. So, you know, the state, the state natural areas, you know, no logging or cutting of any sort is, is, is um, permitted which is great news. Uh, it's in code, it's in state code. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the state is very rich. As Sarah said, you know, the state's been logged. It's probably been logged more than once, probably twice. Um, but some of the most remarkable old growth forest stands still remain, um, particularly in areas that have deep drainage divides and ravines that contain a lot of the old growth uh, trees, such as hemlocks. So, um, you know, the state has 124 state parks um you know, about 300,000 acres of that state park and within some of those state parks there are old growth forests and we've been adding them slowly to our network working very closely with the Pennsylvania DCNR to help us identify the best examples and as Sarah said we also have very committed regional volunteers who assist us in the counties where they live or adjacent counties to go out and inventory and help us to identify the, them and walk them and nominate them and then we work closely with the state um forest manager um, to to learn more. And very frequently, these foresters have really rich knowledge and deep knowledge of the history of these forests. And, you know, they they have sent me and forwarded me, you know, really old photographs and pictures of it being logged in the 19, early 1900s and then ending the logging. So really good documentation so we can really understand, you know, the depth of these old growth forests. Um, and, you know, and we... Pennsylvania right now is neck to neck with Ohio in terms of our network. We have 28 state forests, 28 dedicated uh, old growth forests in the state of Pennsylvania and 28 in Ohio. Ohio will eclipse them on October 4th and 5th with two more, but we have another couple running behind in Pennsylvania we're trying to bring in. So we have this healthy competition, of course, it's almost like the Pittsburgh Cleveland thing where there's a little bit of, you know, uh, back and forth between which city is better. So we, we always enjoy that. And we have members in both communities who are, have origins in each state. So it's been kind of a fun dialogue when we have a, a ceremony or a hike. That's got to be the nicest rivalry I've ever heard. Of, <laughs> Listen, we cannot lose to Ohio. That is, not, that is totally <laughs> this is so, unacceptable. This is so funny. This is exactly what I keep hearing. And, and I have a couple of volunteers who have said, well, I, I have to admit, I live in Pennsylvania, but I'm from Cleveland. But I'm not going to say that too loud. So. <laughs> For people that haven't experienced it before, what is it like to walk through a old growth forest? What what are some of the sites you're going to see? I think one of the first things that I notice about an old growth forest is the sounds. Um, so you, when you start out on a trail and you get into the woods, oftentimes you depart from that paved surface or that gravel surface or 
um, anything particularly crunchy and you get into this very soft layer of um, duff, of needles, especially in a hemlock forest. This is so, so wonderful that you stop hearing the footsteps underneath you. And when you stop hearing your own footsteps because the trail is so soft with hemlock needles, you kind of feel like there's something just floating through this forest and uh, you get to tune in to the birds. Um, the birds can be magnificent as you're walking down a trail in an old growth forest because um, these forests offer habitat for many species of birds that rely only on older forests. So you might hear the very distinctive hammering of a woodpecker that is building its nest in the cavity of a decomposing tree. And in a heavily managed forest that there are going to be so far fewer of those trees left standing to die naturally and become habitat for other species. Um, you are going to hear a lot more insect life and um, possibly even less human voices because everyone gets this sense of calm that comes over them and you just want to kind of silently move through this forest in reverence. Um, and then you also really get to engage your sense of smell the richness of the moisture and the soil, um, it, it's things that we don't yet have the tools to explain in, in terms of the types of uh, compounds that are coming from forests that have grown extremely complex. They can have an effect on us, lower our heart rate, give us a less feeling of stress and anxiety. Um, and so that, that sense of calm comes over you. Um, and then the, it's truly a feast for the eyes after that, um, because there's nothing as awe-inspiring as a big, just coming upon a big tree, especially when you didn't expect it there. Um, and so revering these huge trees or extremely tall trees where that canopy is so far up that you feel like you're in a cathedral. And then you can zoom in on little things like lichen and moss and fungi. Um, things that you probably have never seen in a younger forest because it takes so long for their habitat to be created in these older forests. They rely on microclimates and very moist environments. Um, and so it, it truly is a feast for the senses when you go into these forests. And, and that's, that's what I tune into when I go on an old growth forest walk. It's funny, the the first experience I had for an old growth forest was Cook Forest State Park here in Pennsylvania. And it was one of those, I, I just kind of stumbled on it. And all of a sudden I'm seeing signage for Forest Cathedral. And I was like, what is this? I was like, "There's." they build a church in the middle of the forest. And then once I started reading more and more, I was like, this place is so spectacular. Then you started do, I started doing more research about it. I wonder if there's any more in Pennsylvania. And the fact that we have these incredibly special places so close to us in so many different areas, I think is a amazing calling card for our commonwealth. I think one of the things that Pennsylvania strikes me about this is the age and breadth of the hemlock forests that remain there. I mean, they are threatened by the uh, the Willy Adelgid, but the sheer mass, I've never seen, you know, I'm from Virginia, that the magnitude of the hemlocks up there is pretty awesome. The other thing I would add to Sarah's thing is, is the amount of fallen woody debris all over the forest and decomposing ancient trees. I mean, just to, to see these things, you know, it's funny, we, I was on a hike this weekend in West Virginia, and there was an enormous chestnut tree that had fallen, probably he thought 50 years prior, you know, hadn't decomposed at all, because it chestnut's so durable. But then we also saw these ancient, really huge fallen ash that are 
succumb to emerald ash borer. But the girth of these trees lying across the thing, and then the and then what's living on them now? You know, the fungi. We saw these jack o' lantern fungi, and just it was fascinating seeing all these things. And Sarah mentioned the smells, and those things smell horrible when they're decomposing. <laughs> but it was really it was really remarkable just to see not only the life of the forest above you, but then on the ground what's living there. And that's true in Pennsylvania. I've seen you know many of those um, those trees you know across the scattered woody debris, a real indicator of ancient forest. I think one of my favorite forests I visited is the Hemlocks Natural Area in Snyder County. Um, that's a remarkable uh, hemlock preserve. I think I think even the owner before it was deeded over to the DCNR understood the importance of these trees and, and never had cut them. Um, part of Tuscarora um, State Forest and really remarkable setting. And as Sarah said, spiritually, you're just changed when you go into them. Our founder, Joan Maloof, you know, people, people, we have all these definitions and terms and list of things to look for. And then she says, sometimes you just have a sense that you're in one. And that's a very true uh, uh, guide. I think sometimes you suddenly things feel very different. Your, Sarah said the feet, your feet feel different. The sounds are different. The smells are different. And, you know, suddenly you're seeing these monstrous diameter trees. Um, so th those are all part of it. And again, Pennsylvania is remarkable with the the quantity of forest land that it has and then you know we keep trying to work across the 67 counties we're already 28 we'll be 30 by probably by the by october or november you know so we're almost halfway there and one of the things i always make a plea for when i'm speaking to pennsylvanians if you live in a county and look on our website and see we do not have a forest there we'd love to hear from you we have a wonderful form online you can nominate a forest or tell us about a forest where you've traveled that you suspect may be old growth or that you've read has old growth and we'd love to learn learn more and engage um, our volunteers to help us dig a little deeper and go in and photograph it you know I have a a wonderful volunteer in um, Dauphin County and she's headed out and done three forests not all in her own town we brought two into the network but um, you know she's a professor and she spends when she has time she heads out and with her dog and her husband and they check out these places for us and she sends me documentation and then I follow up with the manager of that forest and we start talking about it and learning more so um a plea to Pennsylvanians look look on our website and check out our check out our map and the counties and the listed forests and we'd love to hear from you Brian how are protection efforts going in Pennsylvania um, as I said, I think they're going very well with the DCNR and Secretary Cindy Dunn has been a remarkable supporter of our work um, but because we don't, and, and again, we have a list, we're working closely with the Forestry Bureau as well as state parks um, to keep moving through the recommended list. Um, but, you know, there are threats. I mean, there, there are threats with adjacent development, uh, you know, on a parcel adjacent to a state park. You can have development that really could alter the nature and character of that forest um, if trees are taken down nearby and wind patterns change or drainage patterns change. Um, and then with 70% of the land not being in public hands, that's another concern. Although I will say we, we have some remarkable volunteers and, and supporters of our group who are very responsible forest managers um, who have identified old growth forests that are private as well as um, ones in their own community. And they meet regularly and try to direct and help steward efforts that forest managers make the right decisions of, of their own private land. So I think, you know, there's there's movement afoot. So, you know, 
particularly with the federal initiative, the term old growth is becoming much more an everyday term that people are hearing, reading in the newspaper or hearing on a podcast such as yours. So I do feel that people are becoming more aware of why, why these are significant. And I'm hoping Pennsylvania will res respond accordingly. And Christian, we have a another program. So our, our flagship network focuses on publicly accessible forests, which could be publicly owned or privately owned when people like a nonprofit have their uh, forest open to the public. But uh, for people who don't, who, who are private woodland owners, um, who have old growth forests or want to have it return to their forest, um, we have a private forest registry where we celebrate people who've made that commitment to uh, keep their forests protected to some degree for the sake of old growth. And um, that lets us engage with that other piece of the puzzle where we don't have state managed lands or anything like that, but people still very interested in old growth forests. And that lets us uh, consult with them to a degree and, and encourage them to say, ask when you, if you hire a forester to assess your land, ask them about what you can do for old growth, where you should concentrate your preservation efforts, what streams um, on your property could really benefit from that intense protection, that kind of thing. So there's there's all sorts of opportunities for protecting these forests and 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 beyond just the state lands, we want to see counties and townships um, committing to this too, um, preserving a, a forest on maybe city property for future generations uh, can be a hugely valuable asset in terms of uh, just the, the health of a community. We also been really benefited as well from some great partners in Pennsylvania. Um, the Keystone Trails group um, have a lot of hikers who are out across the state and they work with us to make our mission known and they're very supportive of our work. There's also the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation, um, also aware of our work and letting their members be uh, help them to understand the old growth forest. And then some wonderful land trust. I mean, the land, Lancaster Conservancy down in uh, both York and, and Lancaster County, um, they brought in beautiful Otter Creek um, last spring in April or May, I believe. And um, again, they've made their constituents aware of the importance of old growth forest. So it's those sorts of partnerships that we also welcome. So not only the municipalities, but other land trusts and groups that might have a parcel that has old growth and to work with us to recognize it is a very it's a very beneficial partnership again spreading the mission spreading the education about what we do what's the process like working with private landowners is it easy is it hard is it contentious we get the right audience that comes to us people who do want to care for their forests and and folks like that are incredibly wonderful to work with and easy to work with um and probably the hardest the harder part of working with private landowners is some of the protection options like conservation easements that um, pass along to future generations or stay with a property, things that are legal documents, it can be rather costly. And um, there are fantastic other organizations out there that support the um, putting a conservation easement onto a property. Um, but we're, and, and we don't do that ourselves, but we're there to support that landowner when they say, I want this to be a forever wild property, not necessarily just protected from development, but I want to see this as a, 
a beautiful, wild, robust forest for future generations. We'll talk to them about what kind of specific language can go into your easement that um, promotes that for your forest. I'm assuming then that you're not wasting your time going to logging companies that purchase land that say, well, you know, if you really turn this over to us, it'd be kind of great. <laughs> no, um, we we do make appeals to them saying that, you know, everywhere could benefit from a core uh, protected area where you have vulnerable things like wetlands or streams, um, that kind of area. But we we absolutely acknowledge that working forests are out there. They're a part of our landscape. There's a place for them, but there's also a place for protected older forests that don't see this logging in at least hopefully in our lifetimes. We also do get a fair number. I, I get a fair number of inquiries from concerned citizens about a threatened forest, not necessarily old growth near us. And we have we have an amazing website with some great materials on it that help citizens um, develop a campaign to preserve a forest of any type that may be threatened in their neighborhood. So, you know, I would urge people to take a look at our our uh, materials online. But the, this could be a how to save a forest toolkit with a poster and steps to help someone maybe approach their municipality or the or the owner of that land about you know strategies to preserve this so i i you know there's other there's other types of forests that are worth preserving that may not come under our category but we try to direct um people towards those resources where's the largest stand of old growth trees here in pennsylvania i believe it's up in tynesta state uh, way up on the border of new york um and we did bring that's a, a usda held um federal tract with that is that is bona fide old growth virgin forest, not ever logged. Four hundred to five hundred year old species, I believe, most of it hemlock, um, and that is the largest and probably best example. And I think the second one that's remarkable, but maybe not as large as the Cook, Cook State Forest, as you mentioned, the cathedral there. Um, I think Pima Tuning State Park is the largest of the state parks. Um, we recently brought the Ohio side of that into the network um, with a remarkable old growth forest there. You know, it's known for its lake and the boating and the fishing there, but this off the beaten path old growth forest was incredible in Ohio. So I would assume there may be a similar resource on the Pennsylvania side. Haven't quite researched that yet, but um, those are three that I think are really remarkable members of the, of the forest community in Pennsylvania. Well, I think that's a perfect lead into, do you have any recommendations for people that want to see old growth forests? We're talking about it. Where should people visit? Well, I mentioned my favorite one so far, which I haven't visited all 28, I will admit. Uh, but, you know, the, the Hemlock's natural area, I think the York uh, Otter Creek Preserve down in York County, which is pretty close to the urban areas, is, is an absolutely stunning park and landscape along the Susquehanna really gorgeous and you know tyanesta is remarkable you know though and our website as sarah said we give really good descriptors so depending on someone's ability um some of the hikes are rigorous you know to get to get into some of the ravines and other ones are really remarkably um accessible and easy uh for maybe a, a you know a one to two hour hike without too much stress so th those are three that i have really uh found very remarkable um, and heard lots of comments on um, and other ones, you know, again, I would say look at our website and find the county closest to your your home or your destination and you'll probably find something that appeals and hopefully we'll be filling in all those blocks and get get at least, um, you know, 50 of them into the network in the next couple of years. So. And I also want to note that if you want a good staycation for the state of Pennsylvania, just 
plug all these points into a, a road trip and it'll be an amazing road trip. Yeah, looking at the list that you had online, I was surprised just by how many have already been preserved and how many are in state-owned lands. Because if, you know, this is this podcast mainly focuses on our state parks and our state forests and I was wondering, oh there, I wonder if there's a couple and always I look and there's way more than a couple. There's so many available to everybody. And I think that's one of the most important aspects of what you both do and what your organization does is that makes them publicly available. It's easy to fall in love with something that's very, very far away that you'll never see. But it's really important to be able to see the places that are being preserved and experience something that people experienced 100 years ago. You hit that nail right on the head. That's exactly what intention is. And, and there is sort of an equity component to our work. We do want people within a reasonable distance of their community to be able to approach and understand these forests and, and walk through them, not to, as you said, not to have to take a, an expensive vacation or a long trip. So, you know, we, we, we keep trying to reach deeply into these communities and find cl good examples close to home. And there's such a sense of rootedness, literally, but also metaphorically, um, when, when you know that a forest that had the trees that you grew up climbing is going to be there for for possibly your children or grandchildren or beyond that. Um, there's something really special about, um, you know, connecting with these local species and, and really strengthening that sense of place through the, through the forests around you. And especially when, when you're able to celebrate them nationally too, with a recognition like the old growth forest network. Yeah. I may never go see everyone, but I'm glad they're all there. <laughs> I'd like both of you to answer this question. Are you hopeful for the future of old growth forests? I'm very hopeful um, because I'm able to see how much they matter to individuals. And while many people may not know that really special connection that you feel to an old growth forest, it can be remedied just by taking someone into one of them. It's as simple as that. I've I've seen people learn about old growth for the first time at one of our our um, induction celebration walks, and they walk out a very reverent supporter of these forests. So knowing that that change can happen so quickly uh, makes me very hopeful that we'll have a large group of committed citizens to having um, our old growth canopy return to our landscape. And I, I feel similarly to Sarah, I feel optimistic. Um, and, you know, the day that we actually bring a forest into the network is usually the, the most wonderful day because we're, we're, we're surrounded by sort of a, a legion of people who all believe these are such important places. And, you know, our, our small staff and nimble work is great. And we work really hard to be focused at, 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 in our regions. But it really comes down to like who's supporting us in the communities. And when we go on a hike and there's 50 local people with various birding groups or people like the Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps sends regularly its volunteers to our openings. Uh, and you see these young people in their early 20s, you know, who are going to make careers in these types of woods. You begin to you get very optimistic that it's not just me and my organization, but there's a whole group of people standing behind this work who care about it, who will continue to monitor that forest for us as well. So those those are really remarkable moments, and that, that's what makes me optimistic. Again, and, and, and the raised awareness nationally right now, the term being used much more frequently, um, people are diving in and trying to learn more. Sarah, where can people go to support your work and le learn more about the Old Growth Forest Network? 
I highly encourage people to go to our website. It's oldgrowthforest.net, um, representing the Old Growth Forest Network. And that's where you can explore all of the ways to engage with our work. Find, view our national map, all of the uh, states broken down to the counties with the forests and all of that information about how to visit them and what to look for while you're there that is extra special. Um, you can also uh, sign up to get communications from us. And if you do that, you will receive invitations to these events in your inbox. And so when, when there's a, a forest uh, ceremony that we're having in your state, in, in the state of Pennsylvania, you'll receive that invitation. We'd love to see your listeners show up and help us celebrate old growth forests. And then if you want to share your knowledge, you can also nominate forests that you may know about or sign up to be one of our county volunteers to help us scout out these locations. Um, we're also on social media, so you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Old Growth Forest Network. Thanks so much for talking to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Christian. It's been great to have this opportunity, and thanks for your interest in the work we do. Thanks, Christian. I want to thank my guests, Sarah Adlu and Brian Kane for joining the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more information about upcoming episodes. You can support the podcast by buying merch or donating on our website. This has been Hemlocks to Hellbenders. I'll see you out there. Hosting, production, and editing by Christian Alexanderson. Music by John Sauer. Graphics by Uncle Traveling Matt's Random Expedition.